Welcome to yet another Zoom Out video with Ambassador Michael Salin and myself, Lars Erik Lundin, covering essential security policy issues for Sweden, for Europe and the world. This is only one out of many podcasts that you will find on our SoundCloud channel, on Spotify and other media, sometimes also on YouTube. Uh, we have published these podcasts over several years as a basis for the production of a number of books on Swedish and European security, on the north-south dimension of European security, etc., in focus today, we have the issue of NATO enlargement, Sweden and Finland, and what Turkey has to do with this. Uh, we are discussing uh, the issue whether this is an issue related to the bilateral relations between Turkey and the Nordic countries, or whether it's in reality a much wider issue of Turkey's place in NATO what Turkey wants from NATO and from the EU, and in general, the situation facing uh, Turkey as a major country in the south-eastern part of Europe, close to the Middle East, close to Caucasus and Russia, close to the Western Balkans, etc. So, again... The comparative advantage of us, perhaps in this context, is that we have used to try to f zoom out consistently on these various security policy issues as we have gone along, since uh, everything has a bigger uh, context and that you may lose perspective if you zoom, zoom in too much on individual issues. We are also now facing questions not only in Sweden, but also, for instance, from the US. What all of this means? Is it merely an issue of Kurds, terrorism, or is it a wider set of problems? Uh, Michael Salin, or as we say in Swedish, Mikael Salin. Uh, you and I, we are uh, now into our third year of podcasts, uh, sometimes for a very small crowd in Sweden, uh, close to the uh, military political uh, establishment, security establishment in Sweden, uh, discussing within the context of our Royal Academy of War Sciences in Sweden, where you have had an active role, also I. We have done several books together on uh, the southern dimension of European security, on the strategic balancing act that uh, Sweden faces in its security policy, and now recently in a, in a more comprehensive report on security policy on behalf of the, of the academy. So, of course, we are constantly coming back to the issue of Turkey in, re in the context of Ukraine, and uh, now more, most recently in the context of uh, Sweden's uh, interest in joining NATO ahead of uh, the Ma Madrid uh, summit uh, coming up very soon. And it's no secret, perhaps, uh, to tell uh, those who might be listening to this that you in particular have received many questions about this, uh, both, and you have appeared uh, 
constantly on television and in different radio uh, uh, discussions on how to understand the situation. And most recently also received a question from an international prominent uh, magazine on uh, how one can explain to American and other audiences what Sweden could ever, uh, you know, what could be the importance of Sweden in this wider, in this wider context. So obviously, uh, I, I, I uh, uh, put the question uh, uh, initially, uh, uh, what should be the purpose of, uh, of this uh, podcast? And uh, for me, myself, I think we have already agreed, uh, you and I, that uh, we should zoom out. We should, uh, we should do the things that we do best, namely our comparative advantages overview. On the uh, over on the May on the overall Swedish security landscape and European security and and how it fits in with the southern dimension, and we should at the same time look at time perspectives, zoom out on those, and we should look zoom out on the Turkish position uh, in this context. So those would be three uh, dimensions of this podcast, perhaps that we could uh, we could agree on. And uh, let me start by just quoting uh, this uh, now um, sometimes famous and sometimes infamous uh, European security strategy from 2003, which talks about a Europe which has never been as um, secure, prosperous and free as it was in 2003 in a period of convergence. Uh, um, to 1999, we had the Istanbul summit of the OSCE in uh, uh, agreeing on important principles for European security in the last year, more or less, of Yeltsin's uh, presidency. So these three dimensions are actually quite useful, uh, not only to discuss the situation of Sweden and Europe in a critical time, but when we talk about security, when we talk about prosperity, and we, when we talk about freedom, there are important things to know about Turkey. Maybe you would like to start there. Yes, uh, when I do that, I uh, think back on having followed Turkish affairs since 1995. So I feel like I'm uh, a veteran in, in the context of those that have followed or tried to follow the ups and downs and the bumps uh, on the road to nationhood in Turkey. So that, that's quite a fascinating theme. Um, I think you're right in... Uh, in distinguishing between those three aspects, because they can be used uh, not only for for uh, measuring uh, security in Europe, but also uh, one individual country like like Turkey. And so, if I were to start on the in the area of freedom, uh, I would say that uh, the Turkey's biggest problem right now, but there are many. Uh, is uh, lack of freedom. Uh, lack of freedom on the part of too many citizens. And that in turn is a, is a case uh, and a, a result of uh, years of, of progress in an authoritarian direction, meaning that when Turkey was admitted as a candidate for EU membership, I will leave the NATO aspects aside for, for the moment. 
We're talking about the EU. That was back in 1999. Uh, and that in turn was a very tumultuously interesting period in the history of Turkey because uh, several things happened at that same year. The leader of the PKK, uh, Erjalan, was arrested in, in Kenya and then deported to, to Turkey and uh, put to trial, which uh, led to or contributed to uh, a clear weakening of the, of the PKK's military activities at, at that time, more or less suing unilaterally for ceasefire, let's say, arrangements. Uh, and secondly, uh, we had the the earthquakes happening in Greece and in Turkey that summer, which were disastrous for both cases, but it also gave rise to sympathy and assistance as between those two countries, which from a NATO point of view uh, was a big relief that it led to a deepening of understanding and their neighborhood, which uh, because you had the background also of both countries of having had military rule over critical years of the post, uh, post-war era. So it led to uh, a sympathy uh, between them and the Jem uh, Papandreou process, so-called, which uh, paved the way for fin- the Finnish uh, presidency of the EU to, to invite Turkey as a candidate for membership. And being a candidate means uh, that you, have, you are seen to have sufficiently applied with the or uh, adapted to or uh, implemented the Copenhagen criteria, which uh, speak a lot about uh, freedom values of sorts. And that in turn led to a change of government in in Turkey itself after a huge economic crisis uh, at the end of the millennium in those days. But the beginning then uh, after the AKP got, came to power in Turkey, a reformed Islamist, moderately Islamist party under the leadership uh, of Erdogan. Uh, in fact, he came to power uh, in uh, uh, sort of November uh, that year, 2002, which has made some people talk about the possibility of elections being held that day, this fall, uh, putting those elections earlier than otherwise anticipated for June next year. So you had this process uh, happening, and then uh, you had a big uh, uh, process of of uh, uh, power struggle between the new new forces of Turkey led by AKP, a moderate Islamist party, which was seen to also be more reflective between pol- politics and society in view of the then prevailing fact that uh, Turkey is overwhelmingly Islamic, Sunni Islamic, uh, used to be 60% in the 20s. Uh, by this time, it was 98% or so. Uh, which meant that there was some coexistence between politics and society of sorts, which in turn allowed for openings of various kinds of freedoms, formally as a process of adaptation to the uh, acquis communautaire of the European Union. So you had a, you had a period there, and then that uh, sort of more fortunate period in terms of freedom, freedom of the people, freedom from poverty, freedom from oppression, freedom from uh, imposed Kemalism, freedom from anti, uh, anti-Islamic symbols like the headscarf, uh, uh, things like this. So a transformative period, and then unfortunately this period has 
arrived at difficulties which maybe could not be foreseen at the time, uh, but sh should have been foreseen because there was a, an action-reaction process of negative sorts between the EU and Turkey. So that leaders of, uh, of, the, of Europe, uh, Sarkozy, Merkel, for example, were starting to uh, raise questions as to whether uh, Turkey was really suitable for full membership of the EU in, in terms of its size, in terms of its importance in NATO, which could be a good thing perhaps, but also in terms of being uh, overwhelmingly Islamic and led by an Islamist or at least Islamic government at the time. So, and then of course there was a reactions uh, in Turkey to that head news, those new signs of hesitancy uh, in, in Europe. Uh, and then uh, you have the process, so we can talk more about this, but more or less as from the second, the beginning of the second decade of the, of, the, of the 2000s, you have had a sort of negative spiral of events and, and the huge bumps on the road. And in today's Turkey, you have a government uh, and you have a constitution uh, imposed by the current government uh, with a very, very narrow margin in 2017, one year after the attempted coup in 2016. And that, and that constitution specifies uh, rather unique competencies. There are other, many other countries in the world that are authoritarian, but very few have specified the degree of authoritarianism to the same extent as in the case of Turkey, although Turkey is a NATO member, although Turkey remains a candidate formally for EU membership. Still, you have a constitution which uh, gives very little checks and balance uh, to, to check the powers of the president and the, and the power of the party and the power of the establishment over civil society, over the media, uh, over the judiciary, uh, it is such uh, that both de facto and de jure, we have a clearly authoritarian situation and the issues now are, are to what extent and what and under what conditions those provisions uh, of Turkey and, uh, and uh, those criteria of its governance can be changed for Turkey to return to more European, more democratic, more free conditions uh, than has been the case because uh, for, for many years, because Turkey has appealed to the threat of terrorism as a constant raison d'etre, uh, constant basis of legitimacy and a constant basis to legitimize uh, draconian measures against uh, perceived enemies of the regime. Uh, domestically and abroad. And this, of course, has uh, created many, 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 many difficulties in the relationship between that there, this very important country, 84 million people, for Christ's sake. So it's mm. big and it's uh, located in a very, very sort of sensitive position, east, west, north, south. So a uh, lot is at stake uh, and uh, the elections planned for next year, but that could happen before that are so crucial for the future of Europe and for, for uh, the stability of the transatlantic arena. And now, of course, we have the Ukraine crisis, which further enhances the sensitivity connected with, with Turkey. Well, so uh, one can say that in, uh, in one way, what you just described is the movement from 
convergence. Uh, I remember very well, I was actually in Istanbul during this summit that I mentioned in, in 1999, exactly when the earth, earth, earthquake took place. Mm. Well, oh, all, okay. all the leaders were there, I mean, Clinton and Yeltsin and all, all there, and there was a, an outpour of sympathy uh, mm. towards Sur Turkey at that time. And there was the mere fact that the summit took place in Turkey was also signaled that Turkey had a, had a standing uh, of, mm. of legitimacy in terms mm. of representing OEC commitments uh, and values, uh, which, um, which was uh, uh, symbolic of the convergence period when we were still very hopeful about the future. So this dimension of freedom and, uh, and including democracy, human rights, rule of law, has then had a very bumpy road, uh, even a, an attempted coup d'etat, etc., uh, which has led to a, a, a very uh, strong hesitation on the European side whether this is a, an actor that is really possible to integrate into the European Union without uh, fundamentally changing the balance of power with, inside the Union. Some people already criticize the enlargement period. But here, of course, uh, one has to remember that Sweden, uh, not least uh, during the period when Carl Bildt was foreign minister, had very close uh, uh, consultations with Turkey on, on, on different issues and was clearly appreciative of the importance of Turkey as, a, as an international player. Because obviously um, uh, Turkey is uh, a key actor in many securities. If we move to the second, perhaps uh, uh, second dimension, the security dimension, uh, Turkey is sort of everywhere. Every almost always, when when you talk about an important issue relating to Europe, even the Middle East and and, and a southern dimension of of security, uh, Turkey comes up. Uh, so it's very useful to sit and look at the map, actually, uh, uh, in all directions. You have Turkey there, mm -hmm. including the Western Balkans, including Caucasus, etc., etc. Talking about security in a broad sense, uh, it's very useful to have a map uh, because it uh, summarizes history. Uh, the map shows uh, uh, all the minorities that have fled to Turkey from uh, as a result of, uh, of uh, Russian aggression under the Tsarist period, for example, Circassians and others, there are so many that have fled to Turkey using it as a sanctuary, which create a mosaic of, of minorities inside Turkey. And on the other hand, uh, the map shows, the maps show the way Turkish presence and Turkish interests uh, are reflective of the Ottoman Empire past. Mm. Uh, so you have Turkish interests uh, very strongly, uh, as you say, in, in the Balkans, and you have it in Libya, and you have it in Syria, and in Iraq, and in the Caucasus area. So you can see the way uh, the Russian Empire and the Ottoman Empire and the interaction between those two and other empires have interacted, interacted over the years, and then creating the, the mosaic of today. Uh, and and uh, trying to somehow uh, reconcile the trends of the past with the with the currencies and trends uh, of the present uh, looking forward, which is a fascinating exercise. And in all this, of course, 
Turkey with 84 million people being located where they are, uh, combining history and, and geography, therefore, uh, cannot avoid being a very, very important player. No, no matter how you look upon things, whether it is from the point of view of the current Ukraine crisis, or or the or the current uh, crisis in Libya, or the well, wherever in the in this whole large Middle East region, uh, and you have contacts between Islamic Turkey and Islamic uh, Taliban regime in Afghanistan, uh, seen as a problem, but also as a potential for a solution by the West. So, to what camp does Turkey belong? Yeah, and, and <clears throat> so you can you can have two different uh, perspectives on this. Uh, one is that uh, if if Turkey is such an important player and such an important factor for our security at large, uh, both from a NATO and EU perspective, it would be important to integrate Turkey in order to make sure that uh, you have a possibility to have a constant cooperation and and. Uh, and uh, a way to to increase dependence in, in order to thereby create the kind of basis for permanent peace that that normally was expected after the second world war uh, but uh, but the other uh, alternative could be the one that Sarkozy and Merkel and other represented namely that no uh, by integrating a, a Turkey beyond its formal NATO membership uh, would be dangerous because then you, we not only uh, get, be a, become a part of Turkey's problems, but we also become a part of the problems of the Middle East and and uh, and other regions in a way that we don't want to be. We want to keep a distance from from that, and uh, not least in Germany, I suppose that would was an important uh, consideration in, in this context. And uh, it's there I. I'm struck again by, by Davatulius, uh, the former prime minister's uh, stated ambition that uh, Turkey should be, what was the formula now? We should, should not have any, not any enemies in his foreign relations. Uh, that was only about uh, five and six years ago. Zero problems with all neighbors. Yes. So his formula. Yes. And uh, what the Arab Spring meant in this context, uh, so forth, was of course difficult to foresee uh, at, mm. when it started to move in 2010-2011. So there we are not now, to be sure, we are in a situation where almost the opposite is true, that Turkey does have problems in, in many different relations. And, and as a member of NATO, Sweden will need to take uh, uh, an active uh, part in, in the work to, to try to square the circle, not least uh, considering the fact that uh, there are Greece and Turkey both are members of the NATO alliance. So is it better to stay outside there or stay be inside? Well, the question has been responded to both by the Swedish and Finnish governments. So, one word perhaps about uh, prosperity as well. I mean, uh, behind, behind the whole problem of elections and security, we also have a very dramatic economic uh, situation. We are in Sweden now facing an inflation of 7%, which is uh, unprecedented uh, for a very long time. We haven't had that kind of inflation. And uh, we've, uh, we are through, in a, through a very, very difficult situation in terms of uh, 
in terms of the pandemic, uh, almost true, but we are still going to have enormous costs in, 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 uh, in creating a more stable situation for the future in relation to possible crises of that nature. Uh, and then the Ukraine war, which is also going to be a heavy a burden on the economies in Europe. Uh, but what, I mean, that's small, I suppose, in comparison to what you see in Turkey. Yes. Uh, Logic, before we go into this, can I just uh, follow up on, on, on one line from the security point of view, which is that Turkey, uh, like other big countries with ambitious leaderships, uh, needing needing to show ambition, uh, foreign policy in order to strengthen you uh, domestically. Uh, there are some similarities here between Erdogan in Turkey and then Putin in, in Russia, for example. But uh, the problem uh, is always that uh, countries like this, uh, with a history like this, tend to either feel humiliated and on the retreat uh, from the ill will, ill willing foreign powers, or uh, feeling that they can and need to be sort of uh, pushing forward. So, so there is there is a difficulty always of finding the the stable balance between offensive and and defensive. Uh, as, as those two concepts uh, interplay with uh, with the foreign policy and domestic policies, especially in election years. In the case of Turkey, you mentioned Davutoglu, the former prime minister, currently one of the opposition party leaders, did uh, coin the, the question deep deep uh, strategic depth in a, in an academic book in 2002, and then he became foreign minister and then prime minister. Uh, coinciding with the uh, Arab Spring times, and then of course the translation of uh, of the uh, or interpretation of the, of the Arab Spring and the movements and the opening for for uh, adding Turkish influence into the uh, Middle East region as a result of the openings created by the Arab Spring was so important to have Turkey becoming involved in in the Syrian crisis and uh, more generally in the whole Middle East, uh, Libya later, etc. And similarly, in the case of the of the uh, Eastern Mediterranean and the Aegean, and the relationships with Greece and the Turkish uh, feeling of being isolated from the cooperation between Israel, uh, Cyprus, and Greece over oil exploration in the in the uh, in the uh, Eastern Mediterranean, combined with unsolved issues from the Lausanne peace in in 1923 over the islands and islets in the Aegean Sea, all those things tended to become uh, um, a showdown situation between Turkey and its neighbors. And in order to handle all this, you need a stable economy to support your active foreign policy if it is to be so sustainable. Mm. And, there, and there, as you say, uh, we have, uh, we Sweden and we the US and we Europe generally, of course, have, have uh, big and increasing and rather ominous economic problems, but that's nothing compared to what, what Turkey is seeing. Uh, partly because of uh, ideological and otherwise uh, grounded shortcomings on the part of the regime in Ankara. Uh, because they have tended to have a um, Islamic ideological view on on rates mm. and how to view on those, so that that's that's part of the story. But Turkey has today, and I, I just come from a GMF conference in in Istanbul, 
where this was discussed. Uh, so what is the kind and degree of gravity of Turkey's economic problems as they are, look now? And uh, I have to say that there was almost uh, scary things said from experts at that conference about, for example, how do you deal with uh, uh, how do you deal with political stability in the context of an inflation, which in the case of Turkey is 75% and rising, 75%. We are having 7% and, and are suffering. They have mm. 75 meaning that, and even higher in, in, the, in the powerhouse Istanbul, for example, meaning that for uh, regular people, they have to uh, adjust and adjust and adjust negatively to uh, worsening and worsening conditions for their daily lives. I mean, the food, the, the price of food, the price of uh, gas, the price of uh, housing, all those things. Uh, so it's simply incredible how they, and as a result of these uh, structural, structural problems, the, the lira, the currency, has lost uh, value uh, from in, nine, in 2018, it was three to one or so, I guess, dollar. And now it's 17.5 17 to one against the dollar, meaning that all those, whether corporates or individuals that have um, borrowed money abroad for their investments uh, and having to rotate those, uh, I saw the figure of. Uh, uh, more than 180 billion dollars in in debts that have to be rotated uh, on on this slippery slope of uh, losing value, and the uh, the uh, the exchange uh, the capital exchange rates uh, not not rates but the uh, exchange uh, between Turkish and foreign economies uh, getting more and more burdened. And then you have, uh, uh, and you did have the pandemic that added uh, to the, the problematic, of course. Now it is more or less over for the time being. Thank God for that. But you have added problems uh, related to the Ukraine crisis. And, uh, and um, some say that the, the, how the possibilities for the central bank to help infuse m money into the economy so that the growth figures can continue to grow and uh, economic growth seems to be so important for the government that they uh, tend to meet other factors. But it's a, it's, a, it's a sinking ship and something drastic needs to be done. And there is only one drastic thing uh, which would be sufficient to tackle this because Turkey has bigger economic problems of all uh, than all other emerging mar markets, including Argentina nowadays so something drastic needs to be done but those drastic things need uh, perhaps to be uh, using the power of the imf the imf are setting conditions that are unacceptable so imf no go in turkey said the experts in istanbul last week and uh, can you do something uh, i mean using the techniques of imf but still not uh, not formally applying for assistance from imf no you cannot because then you don't have the the uh, added uh, economic sources that uh, a standby agreement with IMF would provide. So uh, the question is, what, what kind of secrets are there uh, if, uh, if the overall resources from the central uh, bank, for example, here, which is nowadays, by the way, completely politicized. Uh, so uh, Turkey facing elections uh, sooner or later, uh, sooner meaning November, later meaning, meaning June, they are really suffering from 
from uh, what can possibly be done politically in order to deal with uh, what is objectively needed economically. So this is one uh, one important aspect. And of course, there is no interest on the part of any major Western country to see the, the Turkish economy collapse because there are so many vested interests uh, from European banks and other institutions into the economy of Turkey. Investors in hesitate, of course, into uh, adding money to the Turkish economy under conditions of lacking rule of law, as we have seen. But uh, there is no interest to see the, the Turkish economy collapse completely. But there are big uncertainties now as to how, how the polity will, will react to the economy uh, now that Turkey is facing elections. So it will be exciting to see how they deal with that. But uh, I have an ominous feeling of, uh, if not disaster, then big, big problems in this area. I hope that we can say now that now we're getting to the comparative advantage of this podcast. Because against this background, when we have zoomed out on these three important variables, security, prosperity, and freedom, we come to the question of the time perspectives in the context of the ongoing negotiations. We know that there are many negotiations going on between Turkey and its Western partners. Uh, we are, of course, in Sweden, particularly interested in the NATO issue, and there are different views. In and and and, and I have a, the feeling, uh, strong feeling, that many people ha- have different views about the time perspectives in this negotiation on the NATO issue, because they have not zoomed out or they have zoomed out. There is a difference here. Some who look at the bigger perspective said. They calm. Uh, they tend to calm the debate, saying, "Listen, there is a bigger picture out here. There is not. On, this is not the only. The, the only issue is not what Sweden does on the on the on the issue of uh, Kurds. Uh, uh, the, there is a much wider picture. There are many other negotiations going on uh, between uh, Turkey and its Western partners, where Turkey is a demandeur, not the Western states." And uh, one has to see uh, earlier Turkish uh, ways to negotiate in critical situations like the migration crisis during 2015 and so on, how they systematically use situations where they believe they have something to gain in a negotiation. But one should not, in such situations, um, over-dramatize uh, what it means uh, that you lose uh, a month or, or several months or maybe more than several months in, in a particular negotiation. For instance, Carl Bildt again uh, stresses that uh, the, the very most important thing is that Sweden has now taken a position on the NATO issue. It has uh, shown its interest. It has received an overwhelming positive positive reaction from the United States, UK, Germany, and other important countries in the EU, in NATO. Uh, And uh, uh, in reality, Sweden has already created, together with Finland, uh, the perception that there is strong support for Swedish security and Finnish security in the Western Western, uh, countries. And that is the most important thing. Uh, uh, And a high value of... uh attached to the contributions that uh, Swedish and uh, yes. Finnish. And, and, uh, and, 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 and one has a strong feeling, and many people are seeing much more clearly now that 
Swedish and, and Finnish uh, NATO membership in the particular situation we are now, not least after the 24th of it, is in the interest of NATO. So, so, um, uh, uh, but of course there is a worry, not least we heard, heard it demonstrated on the Finnish side that they uh, worried that that there might be the process might, might stall if we are not uh, uh, getting a definite progress by by the Madrid uh, summit of NATO taking place at the end of June. But in order to get um, zoom out on this particular issue of the uh, the Turkish negotiating perspective of what is it which is at stake for them. My question as a non-expert, because you have you have been Swedish ambassador to Turkey, you have followed Turkey for a very, very long time now, and you were ambassador already in the 90s. Uh, so, so you have a long time perspective. Um, many people who, who, who follow this on the Swedish news, and in, in, perhaps also in, in other countries like the United States, may see it as a a question a bilateral issue between Sweden and Turkey. Not so much Finland and Turkey, but mainly Sweden and Turkey. But is this really a, a relevant description of the negotiating situation? Isn't, isn't there a much wider uh, perspective? The, my view uh, concurs uh, to a large extent with what you referred to uh, you quoted Carl Will saying, and there are many others that have followed Turkey in a long time. I, I, I have this same general position that, of course, uh, and also uh, Lars Erik, I have been I have been ambassador to Turkey uh, a rather long time ago. I know that the question of the Kurds and the PKK and all those things they were uh, on, on the agenda at that time. Also, I was constantly called to the foreign ministry complaining about PKK circles uh, having something called MED-TV uh, broadcasting from Swedish territory uh, or Danish. They were shifting. This was late 90s, so I, mm. I'm so used to this. And uh, more or less, I felt that uh, the various uh, Turkish government and the various uh, Swedish governments have uh, agreed to disagree on, on this. There is a difference. They know that we have uh, a large uh, uh, grouping of, of uh, immigrants in Sweden. We have had, had our open policy, our internationalist outlook, etc. Uh, meaning that we are perceived by many as a, as a, as a place, uh, as a haven for for dissent, in the, especially against authoritarian regimes. Uh, uh, so, I mean, uh, for me, this is uh, a flow of normal that I, I see a lot of deja vu from it. Nothing special, but we learn to live uh, uh, with the differences and to, to agree to disagree. That's fine. And uh, on top of this, uh, uh, Sweden has, and so has Finland, uh, been seen to... I saw an article on this morning that you sent me about being, uh, both Finland and Sweden being uh, vo adding voices to those that have stressed the strategic necessity for Europe to have Turkey adapt to EU standards so that... Uh, thereby could become a member of the European Union. Anything less than that is uh, is not uh, completely uh, satisfactory from a security and transatlantic and uh, EU-Russia point of view. So you have big issues there. What I'm trying mm. to say is that you have this uh, normal flow and then now this sudden and for, for many surprising 
Turkish uh, reaction to our memberships. Uh, I see this only as uh, President Erdogan, I think surprisingly to his own foreign ministry, by the way, took this position because he saw an opportunity to, re to react uh, to other things. Uh, and he's quick to react when the opportunity arises. That's uh, classical for a polit political leader like him. So uh, the, the issues are much broader and uh, the question uh, always arises uh, that even if many are now saying we have to take uh, Turkey's security concerns, uh, the legitimate security concerns uh, seriously, uh, this is an appeal from the uh, chief of NATO, for example, now that because he has to administer now this process uh, in the pre-Madrid perspective. And then, of course, there are many uh, questions that arise once you look into it. So, what is what does it mean to take uh, to take Turkey's uh, legitimate security concerns seriously? And what are those security concerns? Uh, what does concern mean? By the way, is it a threat perception or is it simply a thinking aloud uh, concern? Well, if it's a threat, it's not the broader strategic threats. It's so it's terror. The threat terror that they are really talking about. And then the questions arise as to so, what are those concrete terror threats uh, where Turkish acts, actions on those threats and against those threats have uh, appeared to be excessive to uh, their friends in, in the Western world? And, and now they are seizing the opportunity using Finnish and Swedish and NATO vulnerability at this stage of enlargement. And, and it's such an important step of enlargement that uh, for Biden and others, it's a must. Uh, and therefore, Turkey tends to shoot itself in the foot in the sense of becoming rather is an isolated voice where the cost of the, the isolation Will, will arise over time. So I agree with you that uh, on the question of who is, who is in a hurry here, uh, you have to distinguish between the Madrid, pre-Madrid period and, and the longer period. I think on all this that uh, uh, one has to be uh, sort of uh, not relaxed at all, but uh, take a calm view that uh, the longer line here will have to be concerned with the, the long-term strategic relationship with Erdogan's or post-Erdogan's Turkey, uh, the big, mighty, uh, rising uh, regional big power uh, in the sensitive area, and uh, the whole Western collectivity, whether it be EU or, uh, or NATO. In NATO, they have the, the veto power right now, but I see structural discussions uh, uh, necessarily and unavoidably occurring over the over the years to come in the EU, as you know, we have this uh, tendency to try to avoid the 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 traps of consensus rules because uh, the, this renders ineffective decision making. Maybe we'll have the same kind of discussion in NATO if it is possible at all. But uh, I see that, uh, uh, as you also quoted, that the, the important thing on this is that Sweden and Finland have committed themselves now, even if the Finnish president has been saying the other day that uh, had he known about this Turkish resistance, uh, then he might would or might not have applied at all. 
I, I look upon things differently. I think it was a, a necessary step on the part of both countries. And uh, since we have committed uh, the, the, the period of interim between commitment and application and then finally ratification and entering into force of the Article 5, it can be a process. It would probably have been lengthy anyway. So I think that one has to uh, see how crucial was this Madrid opportunity really. But the next few weeks are in, in interesting. I saw that uh, Norway is going to decide uh, tomorrow or something about uh, accepting the entrance of Sweden and Finland. And, and uh, if other NATO governments follow, th follow through, follow suit on this in this uh, the coming weeks ahead of the Madrid meeting, then, of course, the isolation of the Turkish position will be strengthened. But you have to remember the situation in Turkey, as we talked about before. So I think we, we should, uh, we should uh, expect that this, uh, the, the, the important steps have been taken. The, 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 the degree of support rendered to our applications have been massive on the part of many. I heard in the conference in Istanbul about how, how valuable Germany looks upon this, uh, for example. So uh, w uh, the issues are much, much, much more bigger than being a sort of bilateral quarrel, quarrel between over the PKK presence in Sweden uh, and, and the arms embargo things. So we are part of the much bigger picture, as most people would say nowadays. Yes. And to uh, close the circle, so to say, from what you just said, my, my uh, impression perception of what is at stake for Turkey is that uh, uh, it is uh, both the power of Erdogan in the Turkish system is his power to stay to his possibility to stay in power as a leader and president of Turkey which is the freedom dimension, if you like. I mean, how to manage elections and the system, mm -hmm. so to say. It is the economic situation. And then the third dimension, we are now talked about the uh, status of uh, Erdogan as leader, we talked about the economic dimension and the third dimension of security. There, my question is, after having listened to a podcast on nuclear weapons in Swedish radio this morning, where they started by saying that uh, we have the nuclear weapons that uh, the United States has stored in, in Turkey. Well, I don't know if that is true. Nobody really knows whether those uh, weapons still are deployed there. And even more, one, one is, uh, um, there is a, obviously a discussion to what extent uh, extended deterrence is in full force across the entire uh, European uh, NATO allied uh, uh, territory. And uh, so this has to do with the question in the long term uh, picture, is NATO, is NATO going to support Turkey in all respects with deterrence and defense for the future? That is a, a question that we don't have I mean, there, the answers may be from time to time uh, that there will be expressions of support from NATO, but it's, it's certainly not a consistent and, and self-evident support for everything that Turkey might be up to 
in order to protect what it perceives to be its interests. So that's where I thought personally that the notion that terror is the only, so to say, concern that Turkey has is um, perhaps only part of the, of the answer, since we see also in Russia that the concept of security has been broadened to include the survival of the leadership and the survival of the society in all dimensions. Yeah, it's uh, some. You touch upon many important things here. Uh, you're right. Uh, I think in saying that uh, we don't know if the Americans uh, have withdrawn the B-61s uh, from uh, the Angelic base, and the whole question of the Angelic base, uh, uh, in addition to those uh, weapons stored there under the nuclear sharing nuclear sharing arrangement had everything to do with the fight against ISIS and the use of the uh, of Angelique as, as the uh, sortie point for 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 the uh, for the air war against ISIS at the time now that uh, that uh, conflict is uh, reduced to, to something much smaller but on the other hand you have the question of, of the Ukraine crisis and Turkey's clear ambition to to maintain some kind of neutrality uh, hoping to uh, provide a balancing act so that it also could be the, that this could be an investment in a future role as mediating country. Uh, and of course, for the West, it has been, uh, for the US and others, it has been uh, important to, uh, to address uh, uh, Turkey very politely on this score. And it was seen by many uh, in the beginning of this year as, as a possible return to. Turkish uh, sort of credibility in, in NATO's in NATO contexts, uh, and it even led further to to perhaps uh, helping Turkey uh, modernize its uh, air force by providing F upgraded up uh, fifths F-16s, uh, although they were expelled from the F-35 program. But it has, I mean, everything is connected here, and uh, and uh, you're of course right in uh, in reviving the old question of to what extent Na Turkey needs NATO support and needs for what. Uh, for, for some time, uh, the issue was uh, rather something in between uh, the broader strategic aspects and the terror-linked questions that are prevailing now. now you had the question of... Uh, of uh, building defenses against the potential first Syrian and then Iranian missile threat, even which uh, a bit far-fetched, perhaps North Korean one. Uh, that is to say the missile defense system, which is also, uh, the, also has a radar installation in eastern, eastern Turkey and, and, and as such an important component. But there has always been credibility problems with all discussions about what kind of, of protective role uh, is the uh, is NATO willing and able to provide Turkey with? It is quite clear now that NATO has no interest in committing itself to the defense of Turkey against its very localized enemies, sometimes provoked by Turkey itself. I mean, the question of of uh, supporting Turkish aggression in in Syria, for example, is is uh, off table. But uh, but this is more or less what what Turkey still asks for. Uh, at least active support, at least being the, being uh, freed from uh, constant criticism and paria stamps, uh, so to speak. So uh, 
Yes, Elosek, uh, there is a mixed bag here, and uh, one simply has to understand the relationship between the various threat levels of the overall security situation, mm. combined yeah. also with domestic policies. Good summary. 